0: I am really, really glad to be here, and I'm going to take it for granted that this speaker is the right volume. It sounds a little loud to me. How does it sound to you? Good? Okay. We're going to go with it. I'm not used to being able to hear myself, so we're just going to go with that. Um, anyway, I'm really glad to be here. I've been, uh, like Brent said, in Tulsa for 10 years. Before that, I was a campus minister for 10 years, which it's just unavoidable. That makes me old. And so uh, I'm old, and that's fine. I'm still a redneck from Tennessee. That'll never change, and I got uh, four kids, uh, two of whom will probably be on this campus very soon. One uh, probably next year, and then one probably the year after that. So, uh, which means I'll never get to come back. You know, I, I'll have to promise to never come uh, north of 21st to get them to come here. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. So, so I'm a little, I get cold when I come this far north. So, um, that's fine. Um, I've been married for 23 years, and uh, my wife and I went to celebrate our anniversary this uh, this summer. And when we go for anniversary dinners or that kind of thing, we always kind of reminisce. That's just our gig. We love to talk about kind of our story and you know tell stories of dinners we've had together and that kind of thing. And uh, the question I asked as the salads were getting made. By the way, if you're going to do something interesting in town. Uh, there's a little restaurant called Celebrity. It's at the corner of Yale and uh, 51st, I think, or is it 44th? I think 51st. And do uh, 51. And it's, it looks like a strip joint. It is not. Okay, I just, I'll just say that right Now, it's across the street from a strip joint. Make sure you're at the right place. Celebrity is very old steakhouse in town. And it's the only place in town where you can get a true uh, Caesar salad. They make it uh, by your uh, table, put the raw eggs in there and the anchovies, the whole thing. I had no idea. A Caesar salad is wonderful. It's nothing like that creamy junk you get everywhere else. So go there sometime and get one. And uh, we were there. We were getting the Caesar salad. And I asked. We got more than that, but we got the salad. And I asked this question. I said, um, what would you say is kind of the, the life lesson of our marriage? Like what what life lesson has really made, you know, being married to me possible? And uh and we just kind of talked that out, and and what I ended up uh, saying was, without forgiveness, relationship is impossible. That's the thing I've learned more than anything else from being married to the same person for 23 years, getting up in the same bed, going to, going to the same bed, just kind of that that absolute almost um, inescapable relationshipness is that without forgiveness, any relationship is possible. Uh, And this is not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about any relationship. If you're going to have friends, if you're going to have friends, if you're going to be in a community in RUF, if you're going to go into a church where there's real community, I'm I'm glad Brent talked about uh, what we're trying to do as as a church here in Tulsa. We're trying to do something that's unique and extremely, we believe, extremely important in this culture because we live in a time when every three or four months another study comes out that just continues to prove that we are the loneliest culture in history. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot, the latest thing I read said that, that white men in America have fewer friends than anybody ever in, in world history. Less than one friend per person. Less than one person uh, that you could call in a time of need. We're the the most isolated people in history. And we're trying to stop that. We're trying to bring that to a halt and actually bring people into relationship. Put people in churches that are not, not mega churches, very intentionally not mega churches. Churches that are small enough that somebody will notice if you're not there. Churches that are small enough where people will, will know your name and will care that uh, you're sick, will visit you in the hospital, and will uh, will pastor you, and uh, you know the the. The, the growing churches in our culture are ex- more and more anonymous. They're big, they're extremely efficient, they turn the lights out during worship so nobody can see that you're there. You you can come and leave and never have a relationship and that's just like everything else in our world. And we want that to end And and the thing that we're trying to The thing that's necessary if we're going to produce that is we've got to get into our hearts this understanding that forgiveness is demanded by relationship. It's just demanded. If you and I are going to be friends, you're going to have to forgive me. If you're going to have a true deep friendship, you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to forgive small things. You're going to have to forgive them forgetting your name seven times in a row. You're going to have to forgive them uh, asking you the same question over and over because they didn't really care enough to listen the first three times you told them. You're going to have to forgive that. You can get mad about that and never come back, right? You've got to get over that. You're going to have to forgive medium things. You're going to have to forgive not getting invited to parties that you really want to get invited to. You're going to have to forgive um, not getting... uh, Not being included and not having things remembered that you really wanted to have remembered. And you're going to have to forgive huge things. If you want to have long-term relationships, you're going to have to forgive huge things. When I do premarital counseling, I bring couples in. And the third lesson is this. The second lesson is how do you fight. I teach them how to fight. And the third lesson is um, I tell them that you are looking at the person Who's going to hurt you, who's going to hurt your feelings more often and more deeply than anybody else ever will. That's just what marriage is. You're bringing someone into to you in an extremely intimate relationship. They're going to hurt your feelings a little bit every day and a whole lot one day. And if you're not really willing to make forgiveness part of this relationship, an absolute necessity, an everyday act, you have no chance of being happy. You have no chance. If you don't want to make forgiveness part of the culture of this ministry, then it's just going to be a Bible study. It will never be a fellowship. It'll just be, we, could, we could do this online. You could listen to the Bible studies online. But you won't grow. You won't be better people. You won't be more like Jesus if you don't develop a community and you don't learn to forgive each other and love each other. And that's, that's the problem. But the good news that this text teaches us, and what I want us to see tonight is this, that God provides for, for community. He provides for forgiveness um, because, because every human treats every other human the way they believe God has treated them. Which means this. If you deeply believe, if you honestly, at the very core of your being, if you really believe that the absolute most significant thing about you is that while you were absolutely dead in sin, when you had nothing to recommend you at all, the Lord of the universe who created and sustained every inch of it loved you and forgave you, if that becomes the most important thing in your life, then you will be compelled to love everybody else and to forgive the people around you. And you will have community, and you will have relationship, and you will love freely, and you will love with with a big heart. And you will be loved well. Uh, The the beautiful message from this text is that the gospel does empower forgiveness. And I I want you to see that with me. So we're going to read together uh, from Matthew chapter 18. And I think we're going to start with verse 15. Yeah, We're going to start with verse 15 to give you the context. So uh, why don't you stand to get your blood pumping. And uh, from the point where I stop reading the text, we're going to go for 18 minutes. So don't worry. We're almost done. I do TED Talks. Let's roll. Thanks for the first life I've gotten tonight. We're poor. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between him and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two or of two of you agree about on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my, my brothers sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had it on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's start the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. the gospel empowers community because it empowers us to treat others the way we believe God has treated us. And that means, first and foremost, we are forgiving people. The first thing I want you to see is this multiplicity of forgiveness, right? The question that Peter asks, is not, if you'll pay attention, it's not simply how often will I forgive my brother. The question is, he comes up and he says, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Isn't that interesting? He's not asking how many times am I going to forgive necessarily. I guess you could say this was implicit in the question. But he's saying, he's also asking, when are they going to get it right? Why? you know, when's Judas going to get you know quit quit being a jerk? When's Peter? I mean, when's you know James going to stop making me be the one to wash feet here? I don't know what they argued about, but uh, but obviously because they were humans, they were they were they were sinning against each other, and and Peter here is uh, being magnanimous. He's um, the, the current teaching in their day was you had a three strike in or out rule. That's what the rabbis taught. And so he's going to double that and go one more. And he's like, should I, should I forgive seven times? Am I going to be sinned against seven times? And, and Jesus says, look, you're going to be sinned against infinite times. It's infinite. He, he takes the perfect, the number of perfection in their, uh, kind of, um, Tradition and their mythology, the the number seven, was extremely important. Uh, As an aside, those who studied numerology today told us that today was supposed to be the day Jesus was coming back. So I didn't think I was going to have to do this, and that's why I'm not prepared. But, oh well, um, just kidding. They they really did. That was in the news today that uh, today was going to be the apocalypse. Oh well, Um, not sure why I brought that up. Seven was a very important number. And Jesus says, you're not even close, Peter. Seventy times seven. His, his number is basically infinity. How often is your brother going to sin against you? What, at what point can you say, that's enough, I'm not going to put up with you anymore? Never. Never. It's never going to be the last time. Your brother's going to sin against you over and over and you're going to love him over and over now. The reason why I read this whole text to you the, the longer version of the text is this. We're not talking about Nazi concentration camps here, okay? We're not ta- we're talking about forgiveness within a community and that community is the church. That's why I, I read to you the text about uh, excommunication and and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, Jesus saying, first of all, if your brother sins against you, you need to take him to the church. If you two can't reconcile, then you go to the church. So this is not talking about huge issues. This is not ta- saying that you have to continue to put up with sexual abuse or physical abuse and, and make yourself a victim. That's not what's being talked about here. He's not saying, uh, and I think this is important enough and worthwhile enough to say, like if you are being abused, you owe it to society to report it. Okay, that's, you're not being a bad Christian if you uh, report something like that. that. That's not what's going on here. You owe it to all the future recipients of abuse from that person to report it. What's going on here is life and community, and it's going to require forgiveness. And in order to have that forgiveness, we have to have the cross central to us, the, the fact that we are forgiven people has to be absolutely central. It has to be what we see everybody else through. Um, one of the things I do every Sunday in our church, we offer the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And I do it, I don't tell anybody about it. This is the first time I've ever spoken publicly about this. But um, I hold up the wine glass. I'm the one who got to decide how to do this because I planted the church. And so we have full shot glasses. You get a lot of wine in my church. I don't want to do thimbles. I want to do big glasses, as big as I thought I could afford. And um, so I hold up the shot glass, and I look through the glass at the congregation every Sunday. And that's a reminder to me that I am seeing people through the blood of Christ that's been shed for me. That's, that, that's a reminder to me that I am forgiven, and I'm, and I'm trying to see everybody else through that blood. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Larry Crabb, and he ran a counseling center for years, and he would allow the students to do the counseling, and uh, if they had, when they had someone they really couldn't help, that was kind of beyond their expertise, uh, they would uh, give him the cases. And there was a case where this girl had been just terribly abused by her parents, and had abandonment issues, and as a result of that, didn't feel like she was worthy of being loved, and she was extremely self-destructive uh, in, in her relationships and everything else, and. And nobody could really help her, but they all loved her. They wanted her to get help. So they begged Dr. Crabbe to come meet with her, and he was glad to do that. And, and he sat down to meet with her the very first time they met. She walked into the office, and he said, now, I want you to know, I've already read your file. I know all about you. I know that's a little bit awkward, but I know all about you. And before you ever sit down, I'm going to tell you this. You will never get anywhere until you forgive your parents. And... She instantly just got furious, and instead of sitting down in her chair, she picked it up and she threw it at him, and she walked out. Six weeks went by, and she went. She made another appointment. He came, she came in. He, he said she sat down. And he said, "Before we ever start talking, we're going to get this out. You will never get anywhere. You will never begin the healing process until you forgive your parents." And she just sat there and cried. That's all she did. wasn't another word said that during that hour she just cried. She left. Four weeks later made another appointment. She came in. Dr. Krabs said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm never going to get anywhere until I forgive my parents. He said, why? And she said, because what my sin cost Jesus was worse than what my parents did for me. That's how I'm going to forgive them. If we're going to be a community of forgiving people, what it means to be in the church is this. When you walk in that door, what it means is this. You believe that you are so broken that the Lord of the universe... ...who created space, time, and dimension... ...had to become a man and die for you. Nothing short of that would save you. And you believe... ...that all you and all the people around you are so loved... ...are so valuable... ...that the Lord of the universe... ...who upholds space, time, and dimension would freely and gladly die for them. And that enables us to look at whatever you're doing to me, whatever I've done to you, and say, I'm sorry, and forgive. We're forgiven people. And the reason we can't forgive is we just don't believe that. What, What should be a humbling fact for us, the fact that we need church, becomes something we feel proud of, right? It makes us think that we're better than everybody else. Um... And, that's, and, and therefore forgiveness doesn't happen and therefore we put on masks and we pretend to be people that we're not because we're really afraid that if you knew who I really was you wouldn't want anything to do with me and um, and we all just kind of hide behind pretensions and, and we never see this kind of healing going on but when you really get it, when you get it down in your heart when you get it, it's, it's profound man, I... Uh, Sunday, we had a friend of mine giving out communion. It was hilarious. Um, he was wearing a t shirt, and his t shirt uh, was one of those keep calm and carry on t shirts, you know? Don't know those, right? Like, they're everywhere. Um, but his said, I can't keep calm. I have anxiety. I thought that was hilarious. And the thing I thought was hilarious he really does. He has anxiety disorder, and he takes Alexa for it. And, um, He's doing great. He's doing fine. But um, I just thought it was hilarious. He's handing out communion, wearing a T-shirt that tells everybody what's wrong with him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great picture? <laughs> like, you just come up to communion like, oh, this guy's got an anxiety issue. It's like, I, I need to wear a T-shirt that says I can't keep calm. I'm a porn addict. Or I can't, you know, whatever. What's your deal? Put it on your T-shirt. That's the opposite of wearing a mask that says we're all fine. And that, to me, that's just a powerful thing. And it, and it it enables me to really love the real you. I don't have to love the mask that you hide behind. We can be honest with each other. We can forgive each other. That's the community we live in. Forgiveness is, is multiple. It's, it's, it's demanded by life and community, and it's central to life and community. And forgiveness... Uh, is extremely practical in life and community. Forgiveness doesn't come easily. It's something that you have to practice. You have to just do it. You have to decide that you're going to grant forgiveness before it can be. Uh, before you feel it. You don't feel forgiveness first. You you, you grant it first. Forgiveness is a, is a is a it is a conscious decision. It's a deliberate choice. Uh, In the Old Testament, what you'll oftentimes hear God saying is, I will remember your sin no more. It's the deliberate choice that I will not treat you by remembering your sin. It means I'm not going to punish you to your face. I'm not going to uh, recite your sin to you. And every time I see you, I'm not going to yell at you and remind you what you've done to me. I'm not going to... I'm not going to punish your sin behind your back when your name comes up in conversation. I'm not going to roll my eyes. I'm not going to be like, well, if you just knew what I knew, I'm not going to talk bad about you. I'm not going to assassinate your character. Uh, Forgiveness means I will not punish you in my heart. When your name comes up, when, when I see you, I'm not going to remind myself of all the things that you've done against me. I'm not going to feel that, that wicked uh, sat sense of satisfaction that comes from me reminding myself of how you've hurt me and, and that allowing me to kind of feel better than you. I'm not going to do those things. Instead, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to care about your well-being. I'm going to do what's best for you, as hard as it is. We have a little uh, booklet on on our back table at church. It's called Forgiveness. And it's written by a pastor named Dan Hamilton. And in it, he uses the illustration of himself when he was growing up, or when he was in his 20s, he lived in a pretty small town. And uh, he was engaged to get married, and and his girlfriend, his fiancée, broke off their engagement. I uh, said so she did not want to marry him. And then uh, not long after that, she married someone else. And whether she had been uh, cheating on him, or, you know, he never knew. It, it didn't really matter. But he was just terribly hurt by it. The problem was that we're in a very small town, pretty small community, and, and he, he still saw her for years. He saw her all the time. And he said every time that he saw her, And he chose not to turn the other way. He chose to not pretend like he hadn't seen her and just kind of give her the icy, you know, the the icer out. Every time her name came up and he had the opportunity to say something bad about her but didn't. Every time he thought about her and and had the chance to just remind himself uh, of how badly she had treated him, But he didn't. Every time he had to make that conscious choice of not reminding himself of how much she had hurt him, every time he decided to not do that, he said he he felt a searing pain. It felt like thorns on his brow and nails through his wrists. And the only thing that enabled him to do it was knowing that he had been forgiven that much that he had been loved that much. It's a conscious choice to believe that the most fundamental thing about me is I am a forgiven person. And as I receive that forgiveness, it comes out on others. And I'm enabled to forgive others. It has to be received and it has to be practiced. And ultimately, it is non-negotiable. This would be such a great parable if Jesus had just stopped in the middle. Wouldn't it? That's awesome. The king forgives the guy, and everybody's happy. (laughs) That'd be awesome. He just wouldn't do it. Jesus just, I don't know, he he wasn't a real good storyteller. He didn't know when to stop. Um, And so instead of kind of leaving it when everybody's happy, he has the guy, uh, what's happened in the story is, you know, the, the The servant has been forgiven by a king, 10,000 talents. That's a mythical number. It's it's an infinite number. You could not get there. The talent, their money wasn't like ours. Like ours is all, you know, like ones and tens and twenties. So it's all based on numbers. Their their money was just kind of completely different. You know, they had denarii and shekels and silver shekels and gold shekels. The highest denomination they had was um, the talent. It, the, the roughest thing you can equate it to is a year's salary. But um, even that depends on what your job was. A lot of people would never make that much in a year. And the guy owned 10000 uh, It was a number that would not be reached. It was not a, a numbered uh, community. And what Jesus really did was he picked the highest number that they ever used in their accounting. and he, So this was an infinite sum. So the man was forgiven an infinite sum... And he goes and he finds somebody who owes him significantly. 100 denarius, a hundred denarius. A denarius is one day's wage for a, a, day, a day laborer. A hundred, you know, that's uh, three months salary. It's significant. And the guy says, forgive, you know, give me a little time. And he refuses to forgive and he, and, he has, and he beats the man, has him thrown in prison. So the king goes out and finds this unforgiving servant, has him arrested, He said, I forgave you all this amount. You should have also been forgiving. And because he wasn't, he threw him in prison and had him tortured. Until he paid the full amount, which we've already said, it would never have happened. So he got tortured forever. And then just to top it all off, in case you're not paying attention, Jesus says, and that's what God's going to do to you. (laughs) Really? (laughs) If you don't forgive your brothers from your heart... God's going to throw you into prison and torture you forever. Now, that's a little harsh. Jesus, come on, cut us a break. Presbyterians, uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but Presbyterians pay their pastors pretty well, which is good because I'm a Presbyterian pastor. And um, one of the reasons we get paid well is because we know Greek. And I secretly think that the reason why uh, people like that so much is so that whenever there is a passage in the Bible that's uncomfortable and you don't like it, you can say, you know, you can look at me and I can say, well, in the Greek, it doesn't mean what it seems to mean. Um, by the way, there's nothing in the Greek that's not in the English. <laughs> that's a complete waste of money. And uh, it's, it's just not true. I've... I, I, I've tried tried and tried for years to make this text not say what it says. Because it looks like it says, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, you're going to hell forever. That's what it looks like it says. So I really tried for it to not say that. And what I found is I studied and I studied and I studied. Like, Surely there's a way out of this. What I found was Jesus actually says that five times. It's one of the phrases he repeats more than any other when he teaches the Lord's Prayer, uh, and and just kind of in places where you never would have expected it after he cleanses the temple. Um, If you will not forgive your brother from your heart, my Father in Heaven will not forgive you. And I I think there's reasons for that. I've, I've really spent a lot of time over my life meditating on why it's such a big deal. And uh, I've come up with three things that are helpful to me. Or just, I don't know, my ideas. One is because forgiveness is just internal, it can't be faked, right? I mean, if it was something external, if you don't go to church 48 times out of a year, you can't go to heaven. We'd all make it, right? Uh, if you don't quit smoking, you can't go to heaven. I think we'd, we'd quit smoking. You know, it's, it's, you know, if you don't tithe, you can You're going to go to hell for Like we would find a way to give that ten percent. If it was just anything external, you know, we would do it. But forgiveness can't be faked. It's internal. It's 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 part of who we are. You, it's kind of between you and God. You can fake whether you're nice to somebody or not, but you know whether you've done it or not. I think it's also a sign that whether or not the gospel has really gotten in your heart and done a work. Because until it does, until the Lord changes your heart, then you are the most important thing in your world. So when someone offends you, they've done the worst thing in the world. So how can you forgive that? But once the Lord's shown you that He is the most important thing, then then you realize that He's forgiven, you're offending Him. It it changes you. But I don't know. That's speculation. I know this for sure. Striving to forgive people from your heart will force you onto your face in prayer because if someone's really hurt you, you can't do it. Ultimately, the reason why I think Jesus says this is the mark of whether you're truly saved or not is because you can't do it. You can't. And it's going to make you cry out to be different. Okay? Let me illustrate. Um, This is who I am. I'm a redneck from Dresden, Tennessee. My dad's a truck driver. He bailed out on us when I was uh, in sixth grade, and I never really saw much after that. I was very bitter, uh, and uh, I carried bitterness about that for years and years and years. Um, I went to seminary, and I graduated, uh, and I was uh, very educated and very intelligent uh, and very intolerable. You couldn't stand me. I was the most self righteous person I've ever known. And, uh, and, and to what I mean by that I was I was crass. Um, I uh, What I thought was hilarious was to do things that were just kind of unexpected. And I thought funny, but just mean. So, someone would, well, one time, uh, people, someone would knock on the door and say, Hey, I hate to interrupt you, but I, my response is always to say, Well, then don't, and slam the door. I think that's hilarious. Don't you? not very nice, but it's funny. That's the kind of thing I did all the time. Um, I was uh, sure of that all of my opinions were absolute biblical truths so that when uh, the students in my seminary had a Super Bowl party uh, and watched the Super Bowl in the uh, seminary uh, cafeteria, I wrote a letter protesting that to the dean because that was not something that was appropriate to do on the Lord's Day. The Sabbath was not to be used to worship football. That, that's who I was. I was that guy, utterly intolerable, extremely bitter, extremely self-righteous. And the Lord used this text in my life, listening to my friend John Stone preach on it, to point out to me uh, that I was not going to go to heaven. I wasn't saved. I wasn't going to go to heaven. I was bound for hell because I had no intention of forgiving my dad. I had actually justified that biblically. Uh, my justification went like this. God doesn't forgive people who don't repent. My dad hasn't repent, repented. God can't fairly ask me to do something that he hasn't done. Therefore, I don't have to repent, uh, forgive. That's all wrong. Okay? Sounds good. Satanic logic. Don't believe it. It's wrong. And, um, and I began to see that. Like, okay, I have to forgive. I can't fake this anymore. So I remember this very well. I began going into my bedroom at night, and I didn't have any children yet. And I would go into my bedroom and close the door. And the first night I just prayed, Lord, I I haven't forgiven my dad, and I need to. It's about all I can muster. So then uh, the second night I I came in and I prayed. I said, Lord, I, I, I I didn't mean what I said last night. I don't want to forgive him. And so I guess I need you to work in my heart and make me want to forgive him because I don't want to. And then the next night I came in and I said, Lord, let's talk about this. If I forgive him, then I'm going to lose a lot. I, I, there's just this feeling, and, I, and some of you in here have it. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about right now. But there's this, this really good feeling you get when you don't forgive somebody. It's a feeling of superiority. They hurt me. It feels good to not forgive. It really does. It's a power. It's a feeling of power. And I just didn't want to let go of it. And so I said, "Lord, I don't want to want. I I need to make you make me. I need for you to make me want to want to forgive him." And even as I prayed it, I just went, "I don't really want this." Fourth night, I come back in. I started to say something along the lines of, I need to make you want to want to, you know, may, please make me want to want, and I thought, this is just stupid. And so I was like, and this is what, I may have been the most honest prayer I ever prayed. I said, Lord, if that man were going to be, is going to be in heaven, I would rather be in hell. And, you know, at, at that point, when you are talking to Jesus and your heart is open, And you just told Jesus that you would rather be in hell than do anything? I was like, that's not the kind of thing we usually tell him. I just realized, like, wow. That's true. I just said something true. And the Bible says that's where I'm going. And at that point, I confronted all of my utter inability to forgive. I can't do this. I can't do this Christian thing. And I had to just lay myself out before Him. That's where Jesus is going to get you to. He's going to get you to that place. And then He's going to bring you to other people who have been in that place where you're just in your utter weakness. Maybe not yet, probably not yet for most of you. But He's going to get you to that place where you have to receive Him in absolute utter weakness. And then He's going to bring you into a community of people like that. And you will be loved for who you are. And that is a powerful, profound thing. And that's what God is inviting you to. And that's the power of forgiveness. And and I want you to know it. Please pray with me.